Welcome and bienvenidos to our new program called Next Generation, highlighting the many creative journeys of next generation leaders. In this series, I will bring you the stories of young leaders in science, literature, medicine, education, and business. Those who have chosen to reach further, travel farther, innovate, and take the risks often necessary to make a difference in their own lives, in those of their families, their communities, and someday in the world. My name is Julieta Garcia. For over 22 years, I had the great privilege of serving as president of the University of Texas at Brownsville. Through that work, I came to know the stories of many of our students that overcame great obstacles to attend college and through great sacrifice of their own and of their families, make it through. Getting to know their stories was always a great inspiration to me. So I thought I'd chase some of them down, interview them, and let you hear in their own words what they're up to now, what their challenges were, and what they hope to accomplish in the future. I promise you will be as inspired, amazed, and humbled by their accomplishments as I have been. Now let's get started. This morning I have the great honor of interviewing Ivan Valdez, a former student of UT Brownsville, uh, who's had an illustrious academic uh, journey, and who's now doing some very exciting work in Boston. So we begin with Ivan growing up here in Brownsville as a student at Lopez, is that right? That is correct. Tell me about your time at Lopez. I understand you not only were in love with science, but you developed a great interest in music. Actually, that's that's right, Doctor Garcia. You know, I went to Lopez High School actually because um, my plans were to become a music teacher. I, I really had a passion for music ever since I first started playing the trumpet and the piano back when I was in uh, middle school. I went to Falk Middle School. And so, you know, at the time, Lopez High School was a fine arts school, and I was very involved in the band, you know, all types of bands, the jazz band, the symphony, extracurriculars when it came to, when it came to that. And I, and I think that I always tell my, my teachers back in high school and in music that I think that all the discipline that I learned while being in the band really helped me out a lot as I was progressing through my, you know, academic career, later in science, in college, and as well in graduate school, I still have a lot of that. That's so interesting because we hear that from lots of students who say that that, uh, that side of the brain works really well when you connect the discipline of music, as you say, with the discipline of science and the formation of new ideas. So I'm interested very much in learning about that connection with uh, our students. So from Lopez, oh, well, while you are at Lopez, you re- received some awards with a trumpet. Is that right? I did, yes. Uh, I was uh, involved in, you know, trying out for the different all-city, all-region, and uh, all-state competitions. Well, actually, you know, with, with the trumpet, I made it to the, to the regional level, as both the classical music and jazz. But uh, surprisingly, even though I was not part of the choir, and I still auditioned for the state, and I ended up being, you know, in the state choir in Texas. So that was, that was fun. No kidding. Well, I mean, fun enough for you to place first in Texas and second in a national competition in trumpet. So you have to trumpet your own <laughs> accomplishments too, Yvonne. So you finished at Lopez and you chose to come to University of Texas at Brownsville. Now, of course, University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. And why UT Brownsville? That's an interesting question, Dr. Garcia. You know, there's a lot of things that played a role 
in my decision to stay in, in, at UTB. You know, at first, my plans straight out of high school were to go to Baylor College. Uh, that was my plan. But I really wanted to be close to family. I started to know some, I mean, a lot of my friends were going to UTB, and I really knew that there was a lot of resources that I could take advantage of at UTB. So that being close to family and knowing that I could get what I wanted at UTB and then eventually continue after UTB to graduate school. So it made a lot of sense to begin here, stay close to family, have an affordable undergraduate education, but not neglect your interest in science. And so you were able to get a position at UT Brownsville working in a lab. Is that correct? That is correct. And that happened in the second year uh, of uh, my time at UTB. I joined the Embry-RS Rice program. You know, I remember, I still remember the day that I saw an ad, you know, at UTB by where the uh, DNA structure was. And it said they were looking for a, a research assistant at a laboratory and, and the M- as part of the MBRS RICE program. And I immediately applied. And I was very interested in uh, learning about the research that was going on in Dr. Colomb's lab at the time, which was an Alzheimer's lab. And so, yeah, I decided to apply and I thought it was good. And that opportunity to do basic foundational lab work in an undergraduate degree program is very unique and certainly something that the university now as UTRGV is trying to continue to expand for students. So you worked with Dr. Luis Colom and we all remember Dr. Colom's wonderful smile and his great abrazos and along with that his fervor for getting and creating opportunities for new scientists. So what kind of opportunity did you have in his lab then? I mean, working in the laboratory of Dr. Gloom, I think, was great. As you mentioned, his personality was just really inspired a lot of you know, passion. And just for everybody that was around him, he just made people happy. And he was actually one of the reasons, one of my greatest influence as to why I decided to continue on uh, going to graduate school. I kind of saw the way that he could influence people. And I thought maybe, you know, one day I, I want to be like that and I want to have that opportunity as well to be able to do that with other students. So I decided to apply to graduate school because of him. So there was a program that allowed you to get to Cornell for some summer study and research. Tell us a little bit about that. So like I mentioned, that this was part of the MBRS Rice program. And, and one of the requirements for that program at the time was to be involved in research outside of the university as part of a summer program. And as part of the MBRS Weiss program, we got the opportunity to attend conferences just to get to know recruiters at other universities and explore the opportunities out there. Um, And I remember one day we went to a national conference and I saw the Cornell booth. And, you know, to be honest, I was a little bit intimidated to apply to Cornell because I said, you know, maybe that's too far away and also maybe I would not get accepted. But I said, I'm only going to have this opportunity one, you know, if we're actually talking to the, to the recruiter at the university. And I just talked to the recruiter from Cornell and I sent my application. And sure enough, just a few weeks later, I got a call saying that I was one of six students that got accepted for that summer internship at Cornell. And I remember something about that recruiter, I think it was a a young lady scientist also, who said, you know, I'm going to try to recruit you to Cornell, but I'm also going to try to help you get to other universities because you're just an extraordinary young man that should have doors open for them. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Sure. So that, that, that actually was my, my uh, mentor, my PI at, at Cornell. So once I got you know, into Cornell, I actually asked to be placed in a neuroscience laboratory, but they decided to place me in the laboratory of the, of the associate dean at the university, of the medical school at Cornell. And, uh, you know, later on I asked her, you know, why that was the case. And she said, well, out of all the applicants, I, I saw your application and, and, and I really wanted you to be part of my lab. So, we, you know, we ended up getting along very well. And then a year later at another conference, similar to the one, you know, where I went when I was an undergraduate at UTB, I saw her at the conference and I told her that I was interested in applying, to, sure, to Cornell, but I was also very interested in applying to graduate school at Harvard. And she said, oh, well, you know, that's, that's great. And she took me and talked to the recruiter at Harvard, you know, at one of these conferences. And she said, you know, this is Ivan. He's my student. He's my, my summer student. And I just want to let you know that if you don't accept him at graduate school, we will certainly accept him at Cornell. <laughs> and I think that really, really, you know, was something memorable for the uh, recruiter at the time from Harvard, which actually ended up being the, who, who's now the associate dean at, uh, at Harvard. So I think, yeah, networking is certainly really important, and it plays a big role in, in students' lives, I think. Absolutely. And so remind me of her of name, at the one that, at uh, Cornell. Yeah. Sure. So my mentor at Cornell was Dr. Randy Silver, and then uh, the associate dean at Harvard, or the recruiter at the time, is Dr. Sheila Thomas. And up to this day, we still keep in touch and always asking for her for advice. And uh, when it comes to my plans, and she's very, she's very engaged. So all of a sudden, you start out at UT Brownsville, and now you're at the College of Medicine at Cornell, and being considered for a position at Harvard. And that's a huge jump. Tell me a little bit about what that felt like when you were actually going through it. It must have been an extraordinary feeling to imagine, is this really happening? And is it really happening to me? Yeah, like I mentioned, I... I I met the, the recruiter at Harvard, and I, you know, I said, Why, might as well, just like I learned my lesson back when I was in college, you're only going to have this opportunity once, so, so just give it a shot. And I applied to Harvard, you know, not, not really expecting much, but I thought it was worth a shot. And um, sure enough, just two months later, I got a call directly from that person, from Dr. Sheila Thomas at Harvard. It was a call directly from her, and, you know, she told me, congratulations, Ivan. I just want to let you know that you have been accepted to Harvard University for a PhD in biomedical science. <laughs> and I remember, well, my mom says that they actually said, I, after I hung up the phone and I told her the news that I was really pale, I was really struck by the news, <laughs> and I, it, was, it was so, so exciting to hear that. Absolutely. It had to be a shock to everybody in the family. And tell me a little bit about your mom and dad. Yeah, so my parents, uh, both from Mexico, they decided to come to the United States when I was two years old because they thought we were going to have better opportunities here in the United States. And uh, I remember as I was growing up, my mom, my dad were working so much, working, working a lot, sometimes multiple jobs at a time. And, uh, you know, always wanted to provide for us so we can have a better life and more opportunities here. And uh, that, that was one of my great motivations to excel academically because I knew that, you know, if I tried hard in school, I could eventually, you know, do something, you know, not only big for me, but... You know, I always tell my mom, you know, I'm going to go to graduate school, and when I graduate, I'm going to share that degree with you <laughs> because all of the hard work, you know, you've done for me, it's, it's a way to pay you back. Although it's never going to be enough to pay how much my parents have worked 
Did they ever hesitate about you going so far away to Boston and Cambridge? No, actually, I was the one who hesitated. (laughs) (laughs) I remember just maybe a few, a couple of weeks before I had to leave from Brownsville to County Harvard, I was telling my mom, you know, maybe I should stay at UT Brownsville. Maybe I should continue graduate school here because, you know, I do think that we have all the resources here. And my mom at the time, you know, she said, no, you cannot do that. You know, I, I would not let you, I would not let you do that. You really have to go take advantage of this great opportunity. And um, she did not hesitate at all. But then later on, she confessed to me that she really wanted me to stay <laughs> as a mom, of course. But, but she, of course, she pushed me. And I certainly do not regret it. Well, I'm not going to lie. It was you know, very difficult at times, you know, especially during my first year in graduate school. You know, the transition from Brownsville to, to Boston is so big for many reasons, one of them being the weather. So, so <laughs> we were worried about you when you left. I remember we were thinking, oh, he's, he's a small yeah. man, and he's going to be so cold over there. We were worried you'd get too cold and come home. Luckily, that didn't I happen. Remember, I remember, Dr. Garcia, you being concerned about that and uh, wishing me to stay warm while I was in Boston. I did. I was very worried about you, but so were lots of other people because we wanted the very, very best for you. So now you've uh, you're headed to, or the, you're in uh, Cambridge and you're going to school. Uh, that must have been a, a kind of a surreal experience for you. Yes, it absolutely was. Um, you know, one of the things that I that I noticed that I that I really liked about being in, at Harvard was that I noticed that all of my classmates were, of course, they were extremely intelligent people, very, very talented in the laboratories and science. But what I, what I really liked was that everybody seemed to be, you know, passionate about something else other than academics. You know, somebody was either really good at, you know, uh, sports or they were really good at, uh, you know, choreography or dancing or, you know, that I, I realized that because during my first year in graduate school, mm-hmm. close to the, during uh, almost the second year of graduate school, we had a play that all the first years have to give uh, for the, for the new or incoming students for the, for the next generation. Mm-hmm. And, and we had to participate in the play. And I remember my classmates were so talented in writing the script, you know, acting, singing, you know, I, I was actually, I was, I was actually the one who sang uh, Lion King was the theme of uh, of the play. Oh, I didn't know you were a singer too, Ivan. I was, I participated as a singer, so I really enjoyed being around people who are so talented, but also have, you know, other passions outside of school and and just the laboratory. I, uh, and that's marvelous for us to remember because we've got to be broad in our understanding and our quest for information and in enjoyment in life because you can't be serious all the time and um, and not spend time being with each other and, and making new friends. So, so now you're at Harvard, um, you're learning that you fit in because you're smart also and you're talented in lots of other ways. Um, and then you're beginning to think about what you're going to study for your doctoral studies. And, and as I understand it, when you were a first-year doctoral student, you heard a Japanese scientist who was a Nobel Prize winner who came on campus to have um, a lecture. Tell me about that lecture and, and, uh, and how it propelled you to study. Yeah, the, Dr. Garcia. So that doctor is actually uh, Dr. Yamanaka in, in Japan who discovered that there was a way to convert any type of mature cell in the body back to a embryonic stem cell. So not, not, actually, it's not an embryonic stem cell. It's an induced pluripotent stem cell. 
you know, and stem cells have the ability to be converted into any other type in the body. And so you can just imagine all the applications that would have getting, like, for example, getting a skin cell from a patient and converting that to a stem cell that can give you the uh, ability to convert that later on to any sort of mature cell, like a neuron for the brain or, in my case, a, a, a pancreatic beta cell for the pancreas. Um, so when I, when I heard about that research and I, I was also in a class learning about it, I said, I need to find a laboratory at Harvard that is involved in that. And I found the laboratory of Dr. Kulkarni, who was uh, also working in diabetes research. And I said, you know, I think diabetes is something that is becoming an epidemic and it's, it's a really serious concern uh, nationwide and also has significant consequences down there in, in the Rio Grande Valley. So combining both diabetes research and stem cell research, you know, it was just, it was, I think I thought it was great for, for what I wanted to do in, in my graduate school career. It's fascinating how those two uh, ideas connected. And I remember you telling me about having heard um, the uh, Japanese scientist, Nobel Prize winner, uh, Yamanaka, and talking about his discovery and how you realized that that night when you were listening to his lecture, that kind of a whole new world had opened up for you. And, and often that happens to us. You know, it's one lecture, one, even one idea that comes from a lecture that can spur you to think in a whole new way. And then to find uh, Professor Kolkarni and combine that work with the idea of how could it, Im <clears throat> excuse me, how could it help us with the, the uh, study of how to help those who have diabetes is, is fantastic. Now, I also read that, so that when you joined that work with the, the new professor, you were looking at then beta cell regeneration and its implication for controlling diabetes. Um, it, tell us a little bit more about, was that, was that a, a, a novel idea at the time? It was a very novel idea. I mean, because if, if you know, we, we have uh, embryonic stem cells already, and that had been around for many, many years. But there's a lot of problems with working with embryonic stem cells, uh, one of them being, you know, the ethical considerations of, of working with that. So, you know, having the ability to, get a mature skin cell and like I remember telling you, it's sort of like rewinding that biological clock and making that cell become a, a baby, you know, sort of, so to say. It was, I mean, had huge implications and that was a novel concept. Nobody had ever done it. And it also was a very simple way of doing it. It only took four proteins to make that um, mature cell become a stem cell. So, yeah, I was very, very excited about that. So what one of the things that the professor said was that it's so marvelous to have young students, young graduate, uh, in your case, the doctoral students in labs, because they often connect dots that a, a more traditional professor who's been at it for a while failed to see, and that it was your idea about uh, that perhaps there could be what you were talking about, pancreatic plasticity, with the idea that cells um, could convert from one cell type to another cell type, kind of coaxing them into transforming into insulin-producing beta cells. That is, that's extraordinary. And uh, where is yeah. that idea now in research? Uh, sure. So what you're referring to is called uh, cellular transdifferentiation, and as you mentioned, is the ability of one type of cell to be converted into another type of cell. And so from, from my interest in induced pluripotent stem cells, 
came that idea. And, and, and you're right, I actually um, read about that happening in other organs of the body, but not necessarily with, within the pancreas. And I suggested to my PI, you know what, let's, let's, try to, let's try to look at the cells that are already in the pancreas to see if they can maybe be converted to, to what we really needed for diabetes, which is a pancreatic beta cell. So I, I recommended that to my PI um, in graduate school, and even though it was not part of his research, it was not part of his grants, you know, that, that he got from the NIH, he, he told me, go ahead and, you know, do that research. And that, you know, that actually became my, eventually became my, my thesis research, how to convert a pancreatic ductal cell within the pancreas to learn about the mechanisms of how that cell under stressful conditions can become a pancreatic beta cell. You know, so I, I remember when I first started this research, there was not a lot in the field of, uh, of, of diabetes, but as I was conducting my, my investigation and I, and I eventually published my, my research, you know, the field just grew a lot. And uh, I was recently looking at that publication that I had in graduate school, and it's been cited several times by other scientists around the world. Uh, so I think the field is growing, and it's, it's very exciting. So while you were being mentored, Yvonne, there at uh, Harvard yourself, you decided to also do a little bit of mentoring for others. Uh, you worked uh, for a while at the Boston Public Schools, at Bunker Hill Community College with students, and also there at Harvard as a science mentor. Tell us a, a little bit about your um, experience there mentoring other students. Sure. Uh, so, so my experience when it comes to that is uh, it, it's... Um, Different kinds of experiences, actually. When I my second year in graduate school, I had the opportunity to go around Boston Public Schools to teach science to summer students, and that was more of a traditional. You stand up in front of a class and you 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 know teach students about science, and these are middle school and high school students as part of summer camp. And you know my my approach to teaching at the time was you know I need to find a way of making science memorable to students. And my topic, you know, as part of that program I was involved in was to teach them about microbiology and the different microorganisms. So I said, you know, instead of standing up here and lecturing students, I want to make this a little more interactive. So, I, you know, I, the activity that I ended up showing my students was that if, for example, if you consider a marshmallow to be a virus, you know, if you keep that same proportions, then uh, I remember showing them a Twinkie. You know, I took Twinkies <laughs> to class. And if a marshmallow is a virus, then a Twinkie bread, uh, you know, is, it's a bacterium. It's actually a, a prokaryotic cell. Now, if you compare that to a eukaryotic cell, which is what we humans are made of, then we actually need to step outside of the classroom. Also, it, it really depends on the type of cell, but, you know, some of the eukaryotic cells are really large, and you had to step out of the classroom. We went to a basketball court, and you said, well, now compare this little marshmallow compared to that Twinkie, and then compare it to here the size of the, of the basketball court. And I remember seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of my students smile and think, wow, that's, that's really impressive. And I think teaching science in that way really, you know, like I said, is memorable, and it really makes more of an impact than just learning, which, after all, science is more than just a subject or more than just reading about something. It's actually understanding and visualizing and see how it applies to you in real life. But then I also participated in mentoring, more, more of a one-on-one -on -one opportunities, um, and uh, also how to you know, talk, talking to Boston high school students about careers in science 
how, you know, tell them about the opportunities there are in research and just guiding them through the whole college process and transitioning to college, sorry, to high school and transitioning to college and then eventually graduate school or medical school if that's what they were interested in. So I, what I hear from this is that you've decided to also gift your talents and your own experience and the mentorship that you received uh, to provide it for others along the way. And <clears throat> that's very, very much needed and, and obviously very, very much appreciated. So now let me go fast forward a little bit. So you're at Harvard, you survived being separated from your family. Um, you, you talk to your mom uh, and dad a lot, don't you? I call them every day. (laughs) I remember you telling me that, thinking, what a lucky mom and dad that he calls every day, even when he is so far away. But what people don't understand is you're doing it for yourself, too, not only for mom and dad, but it feels good to stay connected to home. That is right. So now you're about to graduate from Harvard. You, you, they, they go up there for your ceremony. I remember seeing pictures of, of them at your ceremony. They must have been uh, in complete awe at, uh, at the environment that you were in and, and at your success in that difficult environment. Yes, uh, Dr. Jess, I flew them over to Boston. And I, there's another picture that I have of them where they're walking around in, in Boston and they're just looking up. They're just so amazed at all of the buildings. You know, my parents uh, had never have never really left Brownsville or the Rio Grande Valley area, you know, other than Mexico, of course. So for them coming to Boston, they they were just they were just amazed with with the city. And my mom always tells me, please don't post pictures of Boston because it makes me sad. You know, I, I really miss. I want to I want to go back and I want to see that. Uh, it makes me nostalgic. But yeah, so I flew my parents over for graduation, and they, I was fortunate enough to have them be here and accompany me uh, during graduation, of course. which was a very special day for me. Of course. So then you make it through graduation, and you have to have a job now. Tell us what you're doing in the world of science these days. Sure. So I graduated with my degree in biomedical sciences, and having spent six years in the bench, I decided that I wanted to learn a little bit more about how, you know, uh, bench research is taken, you know, from the lab into actually become a therapeutic. And I think Boston is really the capital of the world when it comes to that, because there are many, many biotech companies and many pharmaceutical companies here, many businesses that are involved in that. So what I'm doing now is I'm at a life sciences strategy consulting firm in Boston. And what we do is basically is, we, I mean, there's a bunch of of, uh, of people who graduated with their PhDs in biomedical sciences, and what we do is we advise other companies on how to take their basic research into eventual clinical trials and then eventually uh, therapeutics to the market. Well, who would have thought that this young boy from Falk Junior High and then uh, Lopez High School and then UT Brownsville, now UTRGV, and now Harvard under his and Cornell under his belt uh, would end up uh, in such a, a magnificent field on the cutting edge of new science. We, we congratulate you, Yvonne, very, very much. You have about one more uh, minute now to give some advice and inspiration to our students um, in addition to what you've already said. If you had to if you had them right here in front of you and you were as excited as I am listening to you and understanding your success, 
what would you tell a student that's a little concerned about, is that for me? Do you think I could do that also? Sure. What I would really tell students is uh, to, to take advantage of all the opportunities that they have because while doing so, I think they will be able to find something that they're really passionate about. And, you know, when you find that something that, you know, you're passionate about, and in, the, in my case, it's science, I, I think everything becomes much easier and you really, really enjoy what you're doing. Um, so I, of course, I do want to say for, for students at, at UTRGV to, to, to talk to professors, to, to network, to hear about the stories, you know, uh, I think they would learn a lot. And uh, I would also recommend for them to explore because, and, and by that I mean to, to travel, to go out and, you know, to, to, to do new things. And then uh, my plan has always been to eventually come back to the Rio Grande Valley. Um, so if, I think that if you, if you go out and explore, you would be able to grow a lot as a person and then come back and, you know, help your community and help, help, uh, help other students grow as well. Well, thank you, Ivan. We hope that you'll be able to do that in the in the Rio Grande Valley. We hope that we will be the beginning of biotechnology as kind of a foundational um, industry for us. We have great uh, faith that what you dream, you can do. Muchísimas, muchísimas gracias, Ivan, for taking so much of your valuable time to tell us your story and to send a very strong message of hope to our students. Adios. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Dr. Garcia. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us today on Next Generation as we talk to Ivan Valdez, a student who started out in Brownsville, ended up at Harvard with his PhD, and is now working for a biotech firm in Boston. Thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to having you hear our next episode of Next Generation.